Welcome to Asshole Court, the podcast where a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. The 11-point scoring works like this. On the low side, a score of 1 equals an asshole rating equivalent to Mr. Rogers. And on the high side, a score of 11 equals an asshole rating equivalent to Hitler. Pre-show asshole scores are given, and at the end of each show, after all information has been laid out, all three judges will give their final score. The subject's final score will be the average of these three numbers. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously. So, just don't. When you search his name online, one of the first things that pops up is his Wikipedia page. Billy McFarland, fraudster. From a cherished upbringing, building a reputation as a savvy entrepreneur at a young age, McFarland has now captured the attention of America for all the wrong reasons. From the great Crayola Crayon scheme of 1997 to the well-documented shit show Fire Festival, Billy the Fraudster has led many up and definitely down a financial roller coaster from hell. From Manhattan townhouses, chauffeured luxury cars, and private jets, McFarland was living a charmed life. But if he is half as smart as he thinks he is, he would have known, deep down, that one of his biggest dreams would end up in a FEMA tent with a wet cheese sandwich. His attempts to achieve fame and unfortunately infamy are what have made him the subject of multiple documentaries and class action lawsuits. And now he'll have an appearance to another courtroom today, one where he will yet again plead guilty and look like a jackass. This is Asshole Court. All right, guys, so let's get your initial thoughts on our boy, Billy McFarlane. Buddy, go ahead, bud. All right, so going into this, I only know Billy from the Fire Festival. I didn't know about any of his previous companies or anything like that, but that Fire Festival, when it hit, it was a shitstorm. There's been previous times where festivals have had, albeit not as bad a reputation as Mm -hmm. that, but I mean, Woodstock in 99 was horrible, but we didn't have social media at the time. The internet was around, but it wasn't anything that it was like it is today or at the time of the Fire Festival. So we weren't getting real-time updates with pictures, videos, and everything that we got with the Fire Festival. Billy just came off as a schmuck to me, basically. <laughs> he was one descriptor. of the, It looks like he was a guy that you would go to high school with, and he wanted to be in the cool crowd, but he just wasn't. And then he finally kind of you know, made a couple of moves early on and got a lot of money and kind of elevated into that social crowd or really tried to penetrate that social crowd. And, uh, well, hilarity ensued in the process. Now, my initial score for Billy McFarland is going to be a Mm 5.5. I think he's an asshole, but I don't think that a lot of his stuff comes from a bad place. I think that he's a a real tech savvy person. I think he's a great salesman. And I think that he just kind of got caught up in the moment and he finally penetrated that cool crowd level and just wanted to be a part of the party and didn't really think everything through to the end. So my initial score on Billy McFarland is going to be a 5.5. All right. <clears throat> yeah. 5.5 for Buddy. It was interesting for me because like anybody else, nobody knew who this guy was before the whole Firefest fiasco. And uh, I'm conflicted because I don't like fraudsters, but uh, watching that thing collapse was schadenfreude is the word that comes to mind you know like when you love watching someone fail like you get pleasure out of watching someone else's failure but it wasn't just his failure it was like this failure of all these people that were like i don't know had this uh this instagram dreams of being like oh we're gonna go to this island and so long story short like i just was like he's an asshole but at the same time like the people that were hurt the most by it were people that I thought it was sort of funny. So it's almost Darwinism at its best. Right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, so I'll give him a, when I first started, I'll give him a five. Yeah, I'll give him a five and a half because obviously he's an asshole, dude. But you know, like I said, the it wasn't uh, he wasn't robbing old ladies uh, out of their retirement funds. It was idiots. So there you go. 
you know, it's funny. I think this is an uh, asshole court first. My pre-score, long story short, is a 5.5. Yeah. So we get a calculator out for that? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) First time, all had the same initial, or or I should say pre-show, asshole score. There you go. Yep, absolutely. And it's on the same page with you guys. Knew about Firefest. Watched the documentaries. I watched both of them. Fantastic. If you haven't watched those, Watching that guy sweat. Oh. Mm, So much good there. Yes, there is. And we will dive in. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. William Z. McFarland. And from here on out, we're going to call him Billy, no matter what was born December 11th, 1991, and was raised in the Short Hills section of Milburn, New Jersey, to parents who were real estate developers. Mm. So there isn't too much out there regarding his early years or what the hell the Z in his middle name stands they for. Never, you never figured that out? It's like a Homer J. Simpson? Man, I'm telling you, I went as far as to read the <laughs> SEC filing against yeah. him to see if they used his full name, and right. sure enough, William Z. McFarlane. Huh. Yep. Zed. Zane. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. <laughs> you should listen to your friend Billy Zane. He's a real cool guy. Except Billy's not a cool guy. At all. He was considered a bright young man and set up his first business, a service that matched websites and designers at the tender age of 13. Now, hold on, because I do want to go back on this one. All though. right. The, his claim is that his first business the crayon was that he would charge kids a dollar to fix their broken crayons. Yeah. And that's total bullshit. Because, A, first of all, like, what kid that's like 12, honestly, we're talking about crayons for kids, so they're like eight. Kindergartners. First yeah, grade. somewhere around that. Yeah, and then grader. we're talking about, like, mid-90s, that kid's got a dollar to fix a, a cobalt blue Crayola. That nope. shit ain't happening. It's not happening. I, it's one of those stories. Lunch. It's a fucking, yeah. see, here's the deal, and we'll get into this with this guy, is that he's always selling. Always, always selling. So this idea is he's selling himself as I was a genius even at a young age because I had this business plan. And I'm like, that's a shitty business plan, dude. Yeah, it's a horrible business plan. Yeah. Like who's going to pay to have their fucking crayons fixed? Yeah. Like especially a dollar per crayon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody knows you grew up with crayons. You have there's like every pack has like 40 broken ones in it. You just let that shit go or use the other end. Yeah, or ex- figure it out, make it work. Thank I you. didn't ever pay anybody to fix my fucking crayons. Yeah. Give me a break. That's just so I did that that irritated me, but go ahead. Please. Yeah. So we're going to get this out of the way early on. Billy McFarlane and Seth McFarlane are of no relation. No. McFarlane, I should say. This sparked some online interest after Billy was getting more and more FaceTime as Fire Festival was gearing up. Online rumors quickly started that Billy and Seth were indeed brothers. Uh. They kind of look like they kind of look alike. They, and they, they're white dudes with dark hair. Dark I complexion, maybe. I, I can see a resemblance. I, it, well, he's right. like his ugly potato cousin or something yeah, like now, that. Now, Billy McFarlane does look like a baked potato. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first thing I would have looked at is the fact that their last names are spelled differently. Yeah. And two, it's pretty easy to Google someone as famous as Seth MacFarlane and find out a little something about his family and childhood and that it is, in fact, bullshit. I did. It's very easy. But do you remember when we were growing up and we all had, were told the rumor that Mr. Rogers was an assassin? Or he a, got arrested with cocaine at the yes, airport. Yes, he was either a cokehead or he had been a, uh, a Navy SEAL that had like 30 confirmed kills. And it was just accepted. You were like, now in all fairness, this is the 90s where the internet wasn't as ubiquitous. You couldn't just look it up on your phone. But people love a story that they hear and they just go with it. For instance, Paul from the Wonder Years, everybody swore to God that that was Marilyn Manson. That's because right. They, yeah, because, I remember that. Because they look, they look very similar. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I do remember yeah, that Yeah, so people are lazy and they're like, that seems right. I can't wait to tell my friends. And in fact, it was quickly debunked and Seth never really commented publicly on the keyboard cowboy madness. Wikipedia tells us that McFarlane graduated from the Pingree School in 2010. The Pingree School is a co-ed college prep country day school in New Jersey. The school is considered one of the most prestigious in the state and country, rocking an endowment of $86.9 million. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I'm willing to bet their school lunches didn't consist of corn dogs, tater tots, and fiestadas. They missed out. Yeah. No, yeah, the fiestada is... Yeah. Oh, man, that was the hot lunch back in the day. Yeah. That was one of my faves. For our listeners that don't know what a fiestada is, it is a hexagon-shaped pizza with orange cheese instead of white mozzarella cheese, and it is the shit. Yes. Does it have like a slight Mexican, Mexican twist to it? Yeah, it's like a Mexican-style yes. yum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine that you made a pizza with instead of tomato sauce that had like Taco Bell sauce, oh, and yeah. it's hexagon-shaped, and it comes with corn, and everybody loved that shit. Oh, it was like party day in oh. the uh, lunchroom when those things were served up. Oh, no doubt. 
He then briefly attended Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, where he studied computer engineering for less than nine months before he dropped out towards the end of his freshman year. (laughs) Studied. Yeah. He made one semester (laughs) in the 101 class on computer science and was like, fuck this, this, man. I'm out. So after he drops out of school, he founded the short-lived online advertisement platform Spling, where he served as CEO. And boy, oh. I tell you what, they like to throw that name out a lot, don't yeah, they? Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. the CEO of this, you know. Everybody's the CEO of their lawn care business. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, what well, do you know what a COO is? Because that's actually what you're doing. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's, I, I'm the executive. I make all the decisions. I'm like, are you mowing the lawns? <laughs> well, yeah, then you're the COO of a one-man operation. <laughs> Chief Operating, Operating officer, officer Dildo. Yep. Did you guys see the pitch that they did for Spling? Spling. Yeah. Spling. yeah. It's like I ruptured my spling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just uh, put put your arm in a spling for yeah. a couple of weeks. You'll heal up. It's hot. It's new. It's thing. It's called spling. You're going to love it. It's got everything to do with the internet and surfing the web and all the cool things that there are. Just trust me on this one. All we need is a check for a million dollars. We're going to advertise for you. Spling. Spling. Get it here. Here's the keychain. That's the pitch. They went uh, in front of a bunch of execs and they went to pitch it and they actually still have video of this. Ooh. And it was basically an idea for like Google Plus back in the day. A social network. Yeah, where if you had, you know, like a recipe that you found or a video that you found and you wanted to have it somewhere that centralized that you could then share it with your friends. And they went to go try and pitch it and they had, you know, the projector up and it just completely bombed. They couldn't even get it to work at the pitch. Oh, no. Well, you know what? That rings true to a lot of his shit, I would say. Well, yeah, that's right. And so he left there. There is a pattern forming here. Yeah. But he was like, this is it. This is my chance. And then they bombed and he's like, on to the next thing. Yep. Hmm. Good story, buddy. I didn't know that one. In August of 2013, McFarlane, with his built in, handed to wealthy group of people around him, Slick talked a group of bunch of investors for about 1.5 million bucks to found Magnesis. Mm. Magnesis or Magnesis. Doesn't it sound prestigious? It does. Targeted to wealthy millennials, Billy's vision of Magnesis, from what I can gather after reading about it, was to create a company and a credit card targeted for what some would consider the social elite, but most would consider douchebags. I imagine lots of darkroom glasses, surface level talk of Broadway plays, and people using the word summer as a verb. Mm. According to a Mashable.com article, Magnesis was run out of a West Village townhouse. The townhouse was rented by Magnesis and McFarland for $13,750 a month Mm -hmm. and used as a black cardholder clubhouse. Members were invited to come and hang out or attend cocktail parties, dinners, art shows, and lectures. How do I get one of these cards, Billy? The uh, Magnesis application didn't follow that of a traditional credit card. Okay. Oh, no. All right. Instead of being concerned with your monetary value or credit stability and ability, Magnesis placed more emphasis on your social value. Social credit. Yeah. According to the New York Post, questions included, what do you like to do for fun in New York City? And where do you like to shop? An advisor to Magnesis was quoted as saying they wanted people from great schools so they have the family background and education that we were looking for. A comment that is strikingly ironic as Magnesis founder McFarland himself dropped out of college in his freshman yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah, it was almost like they were looking for fraternity guys outside of college, oh, basically. Think, think about exactly what it is. The the folks who think or want to be in the social elite want to mm-hmm. be seen in the places where yeah. it's cool to be seen. Yeah, this is just something. It's social like, credit. It's like yeah. the black card from Amex or whatever. Yeah. You know but what except I mean? for you don't have to be rich. You just have to be the guy that had that new Korean barbecue on that street over there. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, hey. Have you had this? Have you read this? Do you like this? Then cool, man. You're in this group. It's, it's a weird thing. But the thing is, it's not a bad idea. The uh, The card itself was black and made of metal. And initially, it came with a $450 fee, later reduced down to $250. They kind of touted. They'd be like, all you got to do is clang this thing down onto a table. Yeah. And it'd go clang. And if you did it around some girls, they'd be like, ooh, ooh where do a, you work for? He's a piece of scrap metal he pulled from his wallet. Has his name on it, too. So the functionality of the card, as you'll see, again, as uh, trends with a lot of McFarland's business adventures, is grandiose in talk and rather basic and unimpressive in delivery. According to a 2013 New York Times story, the card itself is just a way to dress up your everyday Wells Fargo or Bank of America card. Magnesis simply transfers the data from the magnetic strip of the old card onto its blank metal card. It's like copying a CD, and then the Magnesis card can be used in place of the original. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, Billy's Playhouse ultimately became what was described as a frat house atmosphere. 
Once a 500-person party he threw caused $100,000 in damage, and McFarland was sued by his landlord. In early 2017, Business Insider reported that Magnesis members were complaining that they were not receiving tickets on time, the trips were being canceled, and the refunds were taking more than a month to be processed. As McFarland was raising money for his biggest venture yet, yep, that one, he told investors that he had sold Magnesis for $40 million, when in reality, that was a lie. He never sold the company. This was actually one of the charges outlined against him in the SEC filing. So like I was saying, what's interesting to me is that on the surface, it's a good idea, right? So you're pitching this idea that you want to have a specific card that with some social credit and some social cachet behind it for millennials, which got me thinking. In fact, I think that would work for basically any generational demographic. All right. So I'm going to start my own exclusive reward card for bitter, non-experientially driven boomers. It's called Strategery Platinum. <laughs> Let's hear about Strategery Platinum. Yeah, all you have to do is fill out an application and answer questions like, which AM talk radio station do you listen to compulsively? On a scale of Rock Hudson to Liberace, how gay are electric cars? Why would the world be better if millennials knew how to use a slide rule? Which president would you fuck and why is it Ronald Reagan? And so on. If selected, you'll have access to all sorts of incredible exclusives like a 10% senior discount at your neighborhood bar and grill, Applebee's. An incredible illustrated coffee table book about how good the weed was when you were growing up. It's titled A Half a Pound for 20 Bucks. Duh. A mahogany frame set of original tickets to Woodstock so you can keep telling the lie that you actually went. A sleek ostrich skin checkbook holder. An automatic subscription to the ever popular Back in My Day magazine. This month's edition discusses how you were able to pay for college education with the loose change you found in the couch of your first home and follows up with a fairly shallow dive into the age-old question, why are millennials always complaining? And many, many more awesome things. You heard it here first, guys. Strategery Platinum. Apply today. <laughs> where can I sign up? <laughs> where, where can I get my application? Hey guys, real quick, if you're liking the show, do us a favor and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're catching us on. It makes a huge difference. Now back to asshole court. And then we have, of course, what Billy thought would be his one-way ticket to fame and stardom, Fire Festival. Fire Festival was created with the intent of promoting Fire Media's app for booking music talent and was to be the crown jewel of Billy's delusional party that never stopped adventure and that was about to be the laughing stock of the entertainment industry as well as the center of two tell-all documentaries and a bunch of lawsuits a quote from a rolling stone interview had mcfarland explain in his own words how he and jaw rule became buds he said i was a computer programmer and after computers the two things i love the most are the ocean and for some reason rap music so these three hobbies of mine somehow led me to meeting my partner Ja Rule. Other more believable stories say that Ja Rule had come to know McFarland through their regular visits to McFarland's hosted Magnesis frat house. Okay, and That's let's point something out here. One, you're not a computer programmer. Of course not. Okay? And if you love hip-hop, Ja Rule is very low on the list. <laughs> yes. The bullshit from this guy is just shocking. You didn't get through two semesters of computer science, but you're, I'm a computer programmer and I love the ocean. Random what, as what, fuck, yeah. which, okay, most people like the ocean. But then I also love hip-hop, and I chose Ja Rule. Where would I be without my Billy? <laughs> That'd be like, I love country music, and I really love Georgia, Florida line. You yeah, know, they're yeah. uh, just really, you know, just the timeless hits. classics. Yeah, yeah, exactly, dude. So the backstory on it is that Billy tried to book Ja Rule for one of his parties. Okay. And he just went on to, I, I went on the internet, found somebody that was supposed to be his manager, and he was like, uh yeah, send me five hundred dollars and we'll get Ja Rule at your next party. And so he sent him the five hundred dollars and then hundred bucks. Five. That's that's about the asking price for Ja Rule post the demolition job that Fifty Cent put on. <laughs> so about a week later, Billy hits up the guy again and somebody else sent him up and was like, "Oh, you want Ja? You got to send me a thousand dollars and then we'll make sure that we get it." 
And he was like, what the fuck? All right, cool. So he sent him a thousand dollars and none of them were actually tied into job. <laughs> and so he was like, fuck this. Is, you know, he just kept on getting uh, screwed, screwed over. over every, <laughs> savvy every Billy. Savvy, savvy, savvy Billy. But that's where he got the idea for the fire app. He was like, fuck, why can't it just be easy to book huh. people yeah. for Again, parties? Not a bad idea, because I actually was reading about this the other day that there is a difficulty for celebrities that want to book private venues and stuff like sure. that so it was basically a platform to do that but that again like the tinder of yeah but uh, the execution of, is straight diarrhea that's the problem like yeah, all of us have all these cool ideas this is what pisses me off yeah. the difference is that like most of us have the shame to be like you know what here's this cool idea but i don't know if i can execute this because <laughs> i don't know how to code but billy's like i got one semester of computer science <laughs> under my belt and i love the ocean and uh, it's Jaw Rule, so here it is, man. <laughs> Fucking fire. And the worst thing is that people eat that shit up, man. If you can sell shit, man, you're set for life. When that guy gets out of prison, he's not done. He's going to have another thing. I fucking swear to God he will because he's got no shame and that's what it takes to like succeed right he's now. He's got a lifetime ban for being an officer of a company. Yeah, so. but he'll be like a fucking puppet master. Right. Well, that's what he something. does. He likes to get people to yeah. do his work uh, for We'll him. get into that. But so he finally ended up getting together with Ja Rule and they started talking about stuff. He presents the idea for the fire app for mm-hmm. him and Ja latches onto it and they start hanging out all the time. And so then Ja and him kind of coined the term that they're the magic bird. OK. And it's a term coined between John and Billy referring to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and oh. the impact oh that God. those oh. two had on the NBA. It oh, changed- I hate him so much now. <laughs> It changed the way people saw and thought about basketball, and they were going to change the way people look at a young tech entrepreneur and a hip-hop mogul come together to create something incredible. Why not just go ahead and have the extra step with their ringtones or Ebony and Ivory with uh, Stevie (laughs) Wonder and fucking Paul McCartney, Ebony and Ivory, changing the world through (laughs) computer science. I'm a genius and hip hop moguls. That's fucking crazy, dude. The delusions of grandeur for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So to give you a little idea of how the whole fire festival went down, this is how it started out before any of the groundwork was laid out. McFarland and Jaw Rule hopped on a private plane and flew down to the lightly populated island of Norman's K, mm-hmm. formerly owned by Medellin cartel kingpin Carlos Rivas and also owned by Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Supposedly. McFarland and Jaw Rule somehow talked the owners of the island to let them lease the island for the festival under one condition, that there was to be no mention of this island being owned by Rivas and the fellow kingpin Escobar. They were trying to rebrand the island. Yeah, exactly. So according to Wikipedia, promotional footage with hired supermodels was shot on Norman's K, and planning for the festival went ahead. In early 2017, after a promotional video was released on social media advertising Norman's K as once owned by Pablo Escobar... Yep. The owners immediately canceled the arrangement with McFarland. They had a lot of video that was going on while they were recording this press promo. Right. And you could see Billy and Ja the whole time. They're like, all right, everybody, let's get together for a toast. Their famous toast was, here's to living like movie stars, partying like rock stars. And Billy would always come in and fucking like porn stars. What a douche. It's so shitty. Like all of it. It's just like I said, we've talked about this multiple times. Like, is a douchebag make you an asshole? And like all the assholes that we deal with are douchebags. So yeah. <laughs> it's really like the, the, on a Venn diagram. It's almost a perfect circle. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, so, so one of the taglines for it was for three days, you can become Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Because you go to this island that he owned. First of all, Pablo Escobar never fucking hung out on that island. It was a fucking way station for his drug trafficking that he had with whatever. And so. it turned out he never owned Norman's case. Exactly. He never yeah. owned it. It wasn't him. No, no. We've all seen Blow. It yeah. was yeah. so but the other thing is like that's that's your pitch. You can be Pablo Escobar. And I was immediately thinking of like some equivalent like for if you had this a big giant Russian party and it was like for three days. You can be Joseph Stalin. Stalin. <laughs> and you can hold show trials and kill your friends. <laughs> I mean, it's a shitty ad. Like, I don't... Like, well, here's the thing. It, it actually was good promoting, though. I mean, like, he got 10 of yeah. the top supermodels. I mean, the way that he, he made it look, mm-hmm. it looked fantastic. It looked like Instagram come to life. It's true. And that's when they got Fuck Jerry involved. And Fuck Jerry is very good at what they do. But I'm just saying, like, let me break it down like this, too. The thing that with Billy McFarlane and the Firefest, the reason that it's fascinating to me and I think to a lot of people is that it is a reflection on our culture. 
That's why you have to watch it. Why were all these people so willing to spend tons of money? Like you heard all these stories. These people were taking out massive amounts of debt to go to this party because they would feel like they were accepted and they were exclusive. Oh, yeah, sure. And that, oh, yeah. And, and, and that's the and thing. FOMO too. was a big. Well, uh, exactly. So to me, it's interesting that when people like you said, it was a great pitch to be Pablo Escobar. It's fucking crazy. Party to me. with models. Yeah. Well, that I, that I understand. You want to party with models. But like <laughs> I want to I want to be Pablo Escobar. Is a weird way to look at like success. Some of the marketing guys were like, I've gotten emails from people who are like, Pablo Escobar killed members of my family. What right. the fuck? And right. these guys were like, man, I'm just pushing the marketing that they're yeah. telling me to push. And Shelly McFarlane was like, fuck it, man. He was the boss. And you know, I bet the motherfucker had a wicked stroke like I do. <laughs> I'm kind of torn because a lot of the models got a lot of shit for this. Yeah. Um, yeah, they shouldn't have. And, I, and I'm very torn because. They had no idea this thing was going to be. It was a paying gig, man. They show up. 250 large they got yeah. for, I think, Bella Hadid was. Uh, Bro, any uh, of us. No, was Kendall Jenner. Kendall Jenner. Yeah, paid 250000 for one post. For one yeah, post. for one post. Yeah. And it made, that was a, a good part of the advertising for them. For and Again, that's Fuck Jerry. They paid, is, I think it was over $5 million for the post, for the, the media and the promotion posts from all the models and everybody. Like 5.2, yeah. I think they paid out. You can't be mad at the models for showing up to a paying gig. It's a very good paying gig. Mm-hmm. And for something that you don't know anything about, you're assuming you're operating on this idea that it's good faith. Like, okay, they're going to put this thing together. It's going to be great. If you're mad at the models, you're you're just, there's something wrong. It's not, you shouldn't be mad at the models. Well, where they're coming in with that is that they're asking for a little bit of transparency. What hadn't been done up to that point was that basically when you were looking at these, you thought that you were going to go party with Bella Hadid and Haley Baldwin, all these people. And they weren't disclosing the fact that they were getting paid to come out here and do this as a job. Right. So that's where some of the lawyers were like, you know what? I don't think that they're at fault, but they do need to have some kind of disclaimer like, look, this is a job Mm -hmm. that I'm being paid for. I think it's a reach though because it was implied. That you were, they weren't saying you will hang out with Bella Hadid or whatever. They were saying like there will they be. They were selling it like that. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was implied, and that was the that was like, look what we're doing. This is where you'll be at. Here's the island of the pigs and stuff like that. I mean, like I said, they, they were saying we have an island, and this is this all this entire thing will happen on this island or whatever. And again, they lost the actual rights to the island because they're fucking idiots and did the one thing. You had one job, yeah. one job, Billy. One job. Do this. All right, now, so we aren't going to do another deep dive into the Fire Festival documentary here. That has been covered well, and if you haven't seen the documentaries, I recommend you watch it. But what I do want to do is lay out all the fraud, lies, and general assholery shown by McFarland that helped to create one of the most poorly organized events in musical history. First and foremost, Billy had to lie his way into the pocketbooks of many rich and famous people who heard his pitch, saw the bands he was piling up, and cut him a check. All in all, he defrauded people of about 26 million bucks for this thing. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of influencers that they got to promote on the post. It was the Orange Tile campaign yep. yeah. that they had yep. going on. And they were contacting actors and actresses and telling them, you know, like, look, if you do this, what they were promised was a one bedroom villa on the beach that slept three for free for their one post of the Orange Tile on social media. Yeah. They straight up didn't have any of those villas at no, all. They were just all. like, we're just going to do it. And they had nothing to back it up. They did scramble to get villas at one point, and they did get a bunch of homes. And, and this is what's funny, is that Billy McFarlane lost the keys to- Allegedly. All, yeah. He said that he had a box full of over 200 keys. Uh-huh. And just before all the attendees got there, the box went missing. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Secondly, he screwed over a bunch of local workers in the Bahamas who helped him construct everything they did get in place by never paying them. He also screwed over the woman who was the caterer to the event. Mm -hmm. But she wound up with a good story because uh, there are still good people out in this world. She had a GoFundMe account. I think it's raised a crazy amount of money. I want to say $250,000 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also Mark Weinstein who was uh, hired on as a festival consultant Mm -hmm. and he had a lot of uh, work in on the project. He also set up a GoFundMe that ended up creating like by the end of it another eighty thousand dollars for the workers yeah nice. and that's the thing too so when i was talking about in the preliminary scores that i was like you know he screwed a lot of people over that had it coming like that's not fair to say a lot of these people didn't have that luxury right like these are people like the lady that put up a ton of money to feed these people that were waiting for this festival to start and then there was a whole thing where at one point the locals got really pissed off and there was rumors that they were Putting hits out on people. Yep. The thing is, is like, 
it's not cool to put a hit out on somebody, but at the same time, like I kind of understand. I understand. They weren't paid. They weren't and paid. We're in and a they, high poverty area. Yeah, they're high poverty area, and they put a ton of work into this, and they got nothing at the end. They're like, "Sorry, dudes, what are you gonna do?" So yeah, imagine if you're working somewhere, it's everybody's impoverished, and that money means a lot to you. You show up, you know, it's the opportunity cost of taking like weeks of your time to work for this thing, and then they're like, "Get fucked." Dude, some of those people are going to be like, I'm going to kill your ass and I can understand it. Right. Yeah. One hundred percent. They were going to take people as hostage just to try and use them as leverage to get money back from them. And that seems fair. And some <laughs> of them were like, look, we're just going to kill people for retaliation. Yeah. I'm not down wow. with the killing, but the hostage taking like if Billy McFarlane got taken hostage, then, you know, I mean, I don't want the guy to die. But if he gets taken hostage, you know, and has to eat dog food for like a week or two, then like, you know, that's just desserts. <laughs> That would have been an interesting world news story to follow. Yeah. Guests were told this was going to be on a private island. The festival was actually held on an abandoned resort property that was never completed and definitely not an island. It was north of a nearby Sandals resort and for most accounts was an unfinished parking lot. Fire media altered maps of the area to make it look like guests were going to be on an island. So that's where... um they also, Calvin Wells comes in. Okay. He was a financier and he kind of saw all this media that was going on and he was like, this festival looks fucking impossible to pull off. Right. It looks like a bunch of shit. So when they started announcing the acts like Good Music, Blink-182, Major Lazer, Migos, he worked with some of those people and he, mm-hmm. he contacted their agents right. and was like, you know, what's going on with this? And right. they were like, man, we got promised two times our market value for this. Yeah, of course. And so we were like, hell yeah, we're going to do this. Right. And he was like, have y'all been paid for this? And they were like, no, actually, we haven't. We've missed deadline after deadline, actually, yeah. as a matter of fact. Well, first he creates the fire fraud account on Twitter uh-huh. and starts trying to blast them That's online. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And nobody was paying attention to it. So yeah. he was like, man, I need to get some wings under this. And he goes down there and he starts taking pictures of the site. And when he gets down there, he realizes that the luxury tents that these guys have sold to everybody, yeah. they're actually dome tents that were yeah, left FEMA over. Tents. Yeah, they yeah. were like FEMA tents that yeah. were left over from uh, Hurricane Matthew. Yeah. They did look kind of cool, though. But yeah, but they're still not luxury <laughs> villas. The thing, too, is that beyond just the FEMA tents, they had no infrastructure built out. And one of the things was they didn't have sewage. Yeah. Right. They didn't have proper sewage. And what was great was there was an email that went through where someone was just trying to like hand wave it off. And they were saying that oh, it doesn't matter. People won't be eating, so they won't be pooping. Yeah, great. <laughs> it said poop in, in the email. It said but they won't be pooping. To me, I'm like, if you see that email in your group email at work, man, quit your job. <laughs> it's over. The shit's over. One of the other issues is that they did at least get it moved to the island of Great Eczema. Grand Exuma. Grand Exuma. And great eczema. Great eczema. That's <laughs> what, what, what Billy suffered from in middle school. So itchy. And it was booked on that island that same weekend, the same two weekends. It was the National Regatta, yep. which is like That's their right. big sailing yep. championship. Yeah. And it's bigger than it's Christmas to them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's their Super Bowl. Bowl. They say that the island basically doubles in size as population and the hotels and everything get booked up months in advance, if not a year in advance. They were telling him, look, you can't do it this weekend. Do it any other weekend. And he was like, nope, we're just going to keep on doing it. it. He would not take no for an answer for anything. Excellent project management. Yeah. Tickets to the event went from anywhere from $500 to a $1,500 day ticket price and up to $12,000 for the VIP package. That included airfare and luxury tent accommodation, along with meals from famous chefs. What <laughs> guests wound up getting were just what we talked about. FEMA tents, no music, and cheese and bread sandwiches cheese served sandwiches. in styrofoam boxes. Yeah, That's exactly Sounds right. Sounds like a party. The budget for the food was $6 million, and when it came down to it, they had $1 million a lot. A million bucks, yeah. yeah. And even went, then, I'm like, where did it go? It, they got it? styrofoam containers of shitty cheese sandwiches. And there was only like 500 people there. I think they said 500 people was about total the, attendees. The, yeah. At a certain point, they started locking people in the airport. They yeah. wouldn't yeah, send wouldn't them onto the there. site. Oh, yeah. One person had to go to the hospital from yeah. heat exhaustion. Yeah. Surprised there wasn't more. There was a Mark Weinstein, who I was talking about a little bit earlier, the festival consultant. He sent an email to Billy and Grant like two days before the project. And he was like, you need to cancel about 300 people because we cannot safely house the staff, the VIPs and all the attendees at this point. And he was like, I know you're concerned with blowback on the cancellations, but let me paint a picture for you. 300 guests landing on a remote island and being herded into eight yellow school buses. 
and brought to the event fairgrounds only to realize they have nowhere to sleep and they are trapped here. To make it worse, they won't even be able to get back home because we don't have any charter flights booked back for them. The response he got was, at least they'll see your smiling face and crazy yoga skills. Yeah. Because he was supposed to be a yoga instructor at the event. Mm, wow. Yeah, there you go. Whoa. God. Mm-hmm. So this was supposed to be a music festival, but yet the only band that played was a group of local musicians one night, and they too did not get paid. Yep. And just kind of overall consensus, Billy could not pay for this thing. As he quicker realized that he was way in over his head, he pulled another shysty move and made the festival cashless. He promoted to everyone attending to load a ton of money on RFID bracelets that would be used to pay for items at the festival. They got about $2 million from the bracelet sales, which most have went to pay back high interest loans that Billy had already gotten himself to this point with. Mm-hmm. And they were telling him to load up for jet skis and private planes, three private to, jets. Three to $500 a day, they recommended you load. Yeah, well, they said that the average person's loading up 300 but if you want to enjoy all of the amenities here, you need to load up much more than right. that. Well, and like I said, in his mind, he's still talking about like, oh, let's get jet skis and all that sort of bullshit. They didn't even have water. This is what I want to bring up because my favorite character in this entire thing is my boy, Andy King. <laughs> Andy King. And then this is another guy. He got, he got, look, man, at the end of the day, this guy got screwed out of his reputation as a professional. He got screwed out of everything. And at one point, our boy Billy and Ja Rule were asking this dude to literally go suck dick to get water released from customs. And this poor guy goes on to these documentaries and he explains that he was willing to, to do, do this. this. Yep. Yeah, Billy was like, hey, he's like, you're our favorite gay guy. You know what you need to do. You need to go take care of business and suck this guy's dick for water. And Andy King, who is obviously just a, just a nice guy, a sweet guy, was like, Okay, well, I was willing to do it. I went there. And when I watched it in the documentary, I immediately was like, he sucked that dick. Oh, he <laughs> no, he did. And what's worse is that as I realized that, I realized that everybody else that watched that documentary had the same exact thought. Yep. And was like, this guy got ruined. Now, here's what pisses me off. Billy and Ja Rule. It's your job to suck that dick for money. Oh, it's your job. You want this to succeed. You need to go. You and Ja Rule need to get down there and slurp on that thing like one of those unicorn fucking popsicle sticks you get from Walt Disney World or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Both you guys need to be jobbing it like it's slurping. Holla, holla. And not send Andy, the poor guy who actually thinks he's working a legitimate job. About two weeks after the festival, Billy had a meeting with all of his employees that were, you know, still around. And he was like, we're not firing anybody. We're just letting you know that there will be no payroll in the short term. So there's no more official employment. And his employees questioned him, stating that by not firing anyone, that that would prevent them from collecting any kind of unemployment benefits. Mm. They questioned, you're not going to pay us anymore than making us quit ourselves, to which he responded, I'm not aware of how this impacts the employment benefits. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What a fucking shyster. Well, and actually, especially when they first got back from the failure of it, Grant Margolin, the chief management officer, he tried to calm people down by pointing out that, quote, nobody got murdered. And oh, okay, uh, I was like, that's good. a big win. I like to imagine uh, Neymar after uh, the uh, World Cup 7-1 to loss to Germany being like, hey, look, we're all alive, guys. It shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? <laughs> we scored one goal, yeah. you know? Things are good, right? Hey, guys, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do us a favor and share or repost our show on your favorite platform. We love and appreciate the support. Now, back to the action. So after the Firefest debacle, Billy was facing multiple criminal charges and lawsuits. It would be smart to lay low and figure out how not to get the book thrown at you for screwing over people for millions of dollars, right? Nah. The financial trickster Billy was at it again with his next venture, NYC VIP Access. Mm. This just sounds like a company this guy would come up with, right? Yeah, I NYC mean, just, VIP. Ooh, oh, yeah. Look how fucking cool you are by being part of my mm. club. VIP Access club. Yeah, he just trafficked in, in this idea that exclusivity was a big deal, and it fucking worked. It, short it term, it worked. Unfortunately, it did. According to a Variety.com article, McFarlane was rearrested in June 2018 and charged with earning $100,000 by selling fake tickets to events Mm -hmm. including Coachella 
and the Met Gala through NYC VIP access. So what he did was he got this guy, Frank Treble, to do all the work for him. And he was like this young 20s guy. And pictures of Treble surfaced like right around the time that all this was happening. And yeah. I guess maybe they're like promo shots for the company. Right. And the guy is like literally wearing a fire Festival long sleeve T-shirt and wearing a Magnesis hat and all of his yeah. promo pictures and stuff like that. This is at the point where the law is coming for Billy McFarlane. Oh, yeah. He has Absolutely. to know this. Oh, yeah. And what does he do? Why do we know that Treble had that shirt on? Because McFarlane hired a film crew to film all, all of, of his yep. scams. To document it. He documented Absolutely. all the scams. There you go. That's who we're dealing with here. So, uh, yeah, NYC VIP Access was a company he controlled and attempted to hide his involvement by sending sale proceeds to other people's bank accounts, according to multiple news reports. Yeah. So he's sending the money to other people's bank accounts, obviously doing business under other people's names. You saw it in the documentary. Yeah, yeah. He was just running it. It was shocking. And like I said, all the people that we were talking earlier on, they're like, you know, Billy was a, uh, he was a bright kid. I have to question their judgment because (laughs) this shit is so blatantly stupid. Yeah. It's almost suicidal. Like, I'm like, are you wanting to fuck yourself this hard. Is this an act of contrition here at this point? You know what I mean? So the charges added a third count of wire fraud onto the existing two counts, as well as a count of money laundering. There was also a witness intimidation charge brought up against him where he warned at least two people not to talk to the FBI and pretend they were represented by legal counsel when they were not. Oh, oh, wow. Bro, you know who I run with? <laughs> the toughest gangster rapper of all time, Ja Rule. You've heard him sing and rap You know he's serious about this shit. You heard him talk about murder. I mean, his label is Murder, Inc. (laughs) They actually did some real shit, though. They also allege that he may have committed bank fraud and identity theft in the past few months as well when they were uh, adding these charges up on him. William McFarlane, already awaiting sentencing for a prior fraud scheme, allegedly continued to conduct criminal business as usual, United States Attorney Jeffrey Berman said in a statement. Billy went to court and had to face justice. He pleaded guilty in March 2018 to wire fraud charges relating to the fire Festival, and in July 2018, pleading guilty to various fraud charges stemming from a shysty NYC VIP access ticket scheme. He was taken into custody upon sentencing. There you go. There it is. What's Billy Badass up to now that he is in prison? What most sociopaths do. Write a book about how great he is and name names in regards to those who may have slipped through the grasp of his slimy schemes. Oh, he's like Takashi 69 over here. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, good reference. He set the record. Wow. Man. That guy just dished it out, didn't yeah, he? I don't yeah. pay attention to most of that stuff, but I read about. It's tough to hide with all them face tattoos, yeah, boy. He, it looks like a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't but now with McFarlane, that. I imagine that he's a, a charismatic person. You can't do this sort of thing because look. The mathematics of it are ridiculously stupid, but his charisma is what carried him through on this. Sure. Oh, yeah. In jail, they're probably thinking he's actually a cool guy. He's probably telling all these stories about that they hung out and did all this stuff because he did live an extremely charmed life for about a couple years yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, sure. You know, And they don't have Netflix or Hulu in the can. No. So, about, you know. From about 2013 to about 2017. Yeah. And so something like, and the point I was getting back to earlier, I was like, when this guy gets out of prison, he's not done. What he's done now is he's figured out that the rule in America is that you have to con people, you have to defraud people quietly. The biggest (laughs) mistake he made was doing this on an extremely public stage. There are thousands of people out there all the time that defraud people all the time. You don't hear about it, and so it doesn't get all... We all know who Billy McFarlane is because this was the biggest, most embarrassing fraud that could possibly happen to anybody in our generation. If he had just kept it quiet, we wouldn't know who he was. He probably would still be flying around doing what he wants to yep so still up to some old tricks the following is an excerpt from a dailybeast.com article from september 2019 fire festival fraudster billy mcfarland was caught with a prohibited recording device in prison this summer and is expected to be sent to a higher security federal prison as a result according to two people familiar with the situation mcfarland 27 now is serving a six-year sentence in the federal correctional facility in otisville new york 70 miles northwest of Manhattan. The minimum security prison used to house famous criminals such as President Donald Trump's former lawyer turned fixer, Michael Cohen, and Michael the Situation Sorrentino. That guy's in prison? Of Jersey Shore fame, yeah. Well, when he was in prison, he got out in September. What did he go to prison for? Tax Tax evasion. 
Yeah, <laughs> of course, man. His brother was his manager, yeah, and I, like I mean, fucked him over. I, could, I imagine that that uh, that transaction happened while he was spotting him. He's like, <laughs> you know, the thing is, bro. I mean, I am pretty good with numbers. You should just let me. You should just trust me with your taxes. Well, right? Man, it's your ten million dollars. Yeah. You're right. You're my brother. I trust you. Hey, they were in prison at the same time. Okay, yeah. yeah He's like, I, I trust you because you're my brother. You're my blood. That's what. That's all that matters. He's like, I. This guy came to me, slimy Jewish guy, talking about I'm an accountant. I ain't got time for that. You know what I'm saying? Now, look, pick up that plate and put it on there. I'm ready to do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Officials have decided to transfer McFarland to a more secure facility after he was found having the device. But in the meantime, he is being held in the prisoner's special housing unit or the shoe. Prisoners in the shoe hours. are confined to a small cell containing a sink, a toilet, and little to no sunlight. As the article continues, it talks in McFarland's memoirs and how he knob-gobbled with some of society's elite. The following is a quote. I love that. I love it. Most people say, like, rubbed elbows. He said knob-gobbled. Yeah, you like that. Yep, absolutely. Knob-gobbled with some of society's elite. The following is a quote from McFarland to a would-be potential co-author to his memoirs. Prometheus, the god of fire, shows how, as an eight-year-old, my discovered passion for technology, intuition for viral marketing, and consistent drive to set my own path by outgunning authority and the status quo, combining with an incessant passion and demand to live life to the fullest, staring me down a path that would take me through the absolute extremes of society. McFarland wrote in a message from prison reviewed by the Daily Beast. Kill him! <laughs> <laughs> he continues, quote, It was going to be a roller coaster of how Billy got to where he was. Josh Rabb, a freelance editor who was consulted about working on McFarland's book, told the Daily Beast. New York Magazine was the first to report existence of the book project. McFarland outlined the book for Rabb in a series of messages, and here we go. I want to tell about how I went from hiding suitcases of cash under my bed at 13 to eloping from my private high school to join underground fighting gyms, to failing college, but getting a check from the man who Forbes described as America's most reckless billionaire just days later. Jesus Christ. To crashing a plane I shouldn't have been flying, to becoming a confidant of celebrities, supermodels, and politicians, to getting arrested by the FBI and confined to a 9x12 amidst violence and gang wars. He's going the Jordan Belfort model. I mean, direct yeah, right. quote. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, as much as I love the movie uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, like you're condoning that type of behavior when you like buy glorify Jordan, it. Yeah, he glorified Jordan Belfort's book. He he was a scam artist, man. So that yeah, he sees the, he sees the model. It's laid out there. Yeah, absolutely. So Rab, who ultimately decided not to work on the project, concluded, good on him. Yeah, he concluded that the book was another one of McFarland's scams. Rab said. I told him the public doesn't need a book to know you're a fucking idiot. This will have... That <laughs> <laughs> guy's my hero. Yes. He said, this will have to be a come to Jesus moment. You need to come with terms to what with what you did. Good. Yeah. Good for him. The prison source who served alongside McFarland said the serial schemer had shared some of the details of the book with him. He's going to name names in the book. Some people are going to be surprised when this book comes out. Some people are going to be taken aback. I imagine it will be very controversial. Some of the names are Donald Trump Jr., Tiffany Trump, Dave Chappelle, Chris Jenner, and Jay-Z, according to a pitch memo sent from McFarland and uh, his, I believe, lawyer Rubenstein to Rab. Okay. Oh, wow. I can't wait to read that. Yeah. yeah. A RadarOnline.com article from 2019 says McFarland has been transferred from a cushy Otisville prison to the Low Security Institute in Ohio. According to the Bureau of Prisons, McFarland, now 27, is currently serving time at FCI Elkton in Ohio. Although he had an initial release date of September 1st, 2023, he will now be released a day earlier on August 30th, 2023, despite breaking the rules. Coming out of prison already at least a $5 million judgment against him, he'll have to sell a lot of those shitty books to make up for lost time. And that, boys, is Billy McFarland. Billy! Billy boy! All right. All right, so let's go around with our final scores. Okay, I'll uh, I'll go first. Like I said, what he did to my homie Andy was fucked up. It was messed up. Not a big fan of that, man. He did screw all those poor people that uh, were locals. He is a mondo douche. 
He's not a computer programmer. I don't know why he gets that idea. So I'm going to be real quick on this one just because, you know, it's pretty simple, man. I had him at a 5.5. I will score him at... No one died. I'll give him, man, I'll give him a 6.25. I can't give him a full 6.5. I'll give him a 6.25. All right, 6.25 for Mikey. Buddy, what you got, man? So, I mean, unfortunately, we live in a time where so many people fake happiness and fake wealth online and on social media to present a narrative that is completely opposite from what is true. And, man, Billy McFarland is the epitome of that produced in real life. I mean, this is a guy that, in the fire festival, he had local organizers telling him that the amount of people that he was trying to bring in the island, staying in tents, it just wasn't plausible. And they were like, you know, there's issues of heat, noise, mosquitoes. They were just told time and time again that this was not a good idea and that he should, you know, back up and punt. And he was like, nah, we can do this. You know, he fraudulently claimed that he had over $2 million in Facebook stock when in fact he had about $1,500 worth of uh, shares in Facebook. And that's what he would help use to leverage or secure transactions. Yeah, he had like, what, well, I don't know, $1,500. Yeah, I'd say, wait, wait, I don't know yeah, how much yeah, Facebook shares. Well, right now, it's it's almost a 200 but at the All time, right. it's maybe, so yeah, he had like, he had like 15, 15 shares, shares yeah. at the time. Uh, he's just the epitome of a douchebag to me. I, I just, I don't like him. When we first started doing this, I, you know, everybody that we have or host on to Asshole Court, I always check their net worth. Mm -hmm. And this was actually a first for Asshole Court. <laughs> yeah. Billy McFarland's net worth as of today is negative $5 million. But, you know, did that factor in the ramen that he has in jail right now and the hey. hard candy? Where they got that number from is essentially he was forced to give back in, in restitution all the money he made, $26 million bucks. And he's already had a judgment against him okay. for $5 million in a lawsuit that he hasn't been able to pay. So he has already, like I said, that's where I kind of got that $5 million judgment coming out. You're at a negative five. Yeah. That's why I said. You got to sell a lot of those shitty books to yeah. fucking get back to even. So. But it does make me feel good in a sense because this is our first subject that I am richer than. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he's no Don King. He's no John Gotti. But he is much douchier than Elizabeth Holmes to me. So I'm going to rank Billy McFarland at a 6.5 as a final asshole score. All right. So Randy. 6.25. All right. Got, Randy? So I'll cap it off. This is another uh, first. I usually am the most lenient when it comes to asshole scoring. True. But in this case, I have the highest score for him. Okay. Going into it, knew about the Firefest. But when you look at his pattern of behavior of just this shysty, cool guy, I don't like that at all want to um, be cool guy. Uh, that's the thing i don't like the want to be cool guys yeah. you know and that's what they say usually um you can't tell who the rich people are because they don't act rich you know right, what i mean right. and it almost goes back to the saying our football coach used to have act like you've done it before yeah you know what i mean um so with all that being said magnesis the lie about selling it raising all the money fucking everybody over uh, and then just straight up selling fake tickets while he's out yeah. on bond and <laughs> videotaping it. Well, I'll be honest, not, not to interrupt, but that almost made me bring a score down a little bit because at that point I was like, you were so stupid. Fucking idiot. That yeah. I don't know Come if you off. actually know nope. that, what That's you're doing. What, you might be a just a, an incredibly dumb man. A dumb sociopath, but I'm sorry. Go ahead, Yeah, Randy. No, absolutely. So my final asshole rating is a 7.0. Mm. Okay. Which brings our total score to... All right, so with a 6.25 from Mikey, a 6.5 from Buddy, and a 7.0 from Hot Rod Randy, Billy McFarland's asshole court score is 6.58 Billy McFarland. All right. Well, there Excellent. it is, guys. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more of Asshole Court, find us anywhere you download your favorite podcast. Give us a good rating on your favorite platform. It really does help. You'll definitely want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AHC Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, depending on what you have to say. So until next time, remember the golden rule. Don't be an asshole, or you might find yourself on Asshole Court.